Stu Does America. We start by doing a canceled culture. I'm fascinated by what is going on in our media right now. I'm fascinated specifically with the Washington Post. Now, the Washington Post is, you know, I mean, it's certainly a second run sort of New York Times. They've had a history. There was a time where they were known as the paper and they were the paper that was breaking all those big stories in Washington. There's always been lots of rumors about how politicians and power players would leak stuff to the Washington Post to send messages to their opponents. And sometimes we've noticed in recent history, their spouses. But the Washington Post is supposed to be a high quality journalistic organization. We all know a lot of times that's not exactly true, but the what we've seen over the past few days has, has stretched this to the most bizarre level you can imagine. Let me start with Dave Weigel. Now, Dave Weigel is a reporter. Uh, he is a guy who has, at times in his career, worked on covering the right. And when you have a reporter who's covering conservatives, a lot of times you get very shoddy work. I know he's been critical of Glenn in the past, and I think that's why I have such a bad impression of him, which may or may not be fair. I'm honestly pretty biased on that particular point, so I, I grant you that. But I bring that up mainly just to note that I don't have a reason to defend Dave Weigel. He's just some guy Honestly, my impression of him is pretty negative. I don't know exactly the details as to why or how I came up with that impression, but that's just in my head, and I'm being honest with you. I, I don't think that much of the guy. But he has had an odd week, I will say, at the Washington Post. Let me give you this. He retweeted this joke, and you might find it offensive, so cover your ears. Every girl is bi. You just have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. Now, look. Is that an offensive joke? Yeah, it, you know, it really is. It's it's I mean, it's wrong right off right off the, you know, the top. Uh, obviously, a lot of girls are both bipolar and bisexual. Um, so, I mean, it's just not accurate, uh, technically. And that was you'd say, OK, is it a funny joke? I mean, you know, again, it's more of a wordplay than anything else. It's not really an anti-woman thing. It's just the fact that someone discovered bipolar and bisexual start with bi. That's basically the entire joke, okay? It's not exactly, you know, rocket science. It's, you're not going to appear in any Dave Chappelle special anytime soon. But it's a, it's a relatively harmless uh, gender joke. Okay, women, they're crazy. I can't believe it. Um, so uh, Felicia Sanmez, uh, San she is a reporter at the New York Times, and she tweeted this. She said, fantastic to work at a news outlet where retweets like this are allowed. Re where retweets of jokes are allowed. Is there a place in America where retweets of jokes aren't allowed? Oh, yeah, let me think about it. Yes, America. <laughs> Apparently the whole place. You can no longer retweet jokes. Somebody pointed out that, you know, uh, this was a joke about how women are crazy. And boy, did this reporter prove Dave Weigel wrong. Because, man, are they... This is how you show your sanity. Try to get your coworkers fired for retweeting jokes. And basically, that it didn't quite get him to the firing level, but he has been sus suspended for a month without pay for retweeting a joke that was, let's be honest with it, if you can't handle that joke, get off the internet. The whole internet. I mean, not even just Twitter. The entire internet. You shouldn't order from Uber Eats because at any point you could be offended by something. 
It's completely ridiculous. Now, to add to this ridiculousness, this reporter, Felicia Samez, has talked about how she is close friends with Dave Weigel. There are a lot of ways to deal with a joke like this. The number one way, to be clear, is to just keep scrolling and not think about it for another second. That's the number one way to deal with a joke that you don't like. However, there are others. If you are actually offended by a joke that your good friend retweeted, you could call him and say, hey, Dave, I mean, what's this? It kind of offended me. Now, to be sure, Dave should say you're a psycho, but still you could at least attempt it, right? You could email Dave and say, hey, Dave, I didn't really like this retweeted joke that you wrote. Now, you'd feel dumb typing that sentence because you are dumb if you type that sentence, but still, that is a more appropriate way of going about it. You could direct message him on Twitter. That's another way you could do it. You could kind of say the same thing. And again, you'd be an idiot for doing it, but you could do it. You could, I don't know, call your manager. I mean, that seems kind of psychotic, right? You could say, hey, uh, you know, Dave Weigel retweeted this. I don't think it's appropriate. Again, you should just be straight out fired for doing that because it's insane, but you could do it. Instead, she goes publicly and attacks her good friend, Dave Weigel, and gets him suspended without pay for a month. Now, there are so many people, and I, you know, I don't know Dave Weigel's work all that well. I've read that he was sort of critical of the concept of, of cancel culture. If that's true, I mean, he's seeing this bite him on the ass. This is what it is. This is just insanity, right? What, what, what weirdo acts this way? What weirdo sees a joke they don't like and tries to get their coworker, who they call their own good friend, fired? They shared a byline on a story like a few months ago. They're supposedly close coworkers, and here she is trying to ruin his life. Why would you act this way? When did we start acting this way? There are people, we are, I'm at the Blaze right now, right? Blaze TV. Great organization. We love it here, of course. Lots of hosts here. Some of them I don't agree on about everything. Some of them tweet things that I think are not so great. Sometimes I tweet things that they don't think are so great. Sometimes they think I'm wrong. Sometimes we all think everybody in the company is wrong except us. What does that mean? Of what consequence is this? Can you not live in a world where people find other things interesting, where people find other viewpoints correct, where other people find jokes funny? You can't live in that world. Are you an adult? Where does this come from? I mean, it's got to come from the colleges, right? It does seem like that sort of culture has permeated now what we see uh, in our workplaces and now even in our newsrooms. So you have this psychotic weirdness going on at the Washington Post. Retweet, uh, you know, I, you know my stance on this. It's pretty extreme. You should never get fired for a tweet, no matter what's in it. Now, as I've said over and over again, there will be times in which people will tweet things that are fireable offenses. But it is my view that even those should not be fireable offenses because, you know, we might let a few through that are really bad. But just as a general concept, you shouldn't get fired for anything you tweet pretty much ever. So that's my stance. On the other side, you should get fired 
for continually doing your job poorly. Okay, that is something that people should get fired for. And now the part of the story where we get to Taylor Lorenz. Taylor Lorenz is a reporter, columnist. They call her a columnist a lot. I thought she was a reporter. I think she was at one point. Now she's a columnist, which I think lets her make stuff up. I think that's the distinction. Um, but she's a columnist at the, uh, at the Washington Post, and she covers Internet culture. Now, there could not be anything more vapid and meaningless than Internet culture. Um, I know that it affects the world and that's why I guess it's important and I guess that's true but that's the world's problem like the the world has made an error in allowing internet culture to affect it okay it's just pathetic and it's just where we are now I guess so they have an internet culture reporter and this internet culture reporter seems to think her job is to lie and make crap up every single day and then get coddled by her newspaper. Now, why does Dave Weigel get suspended for a month when we went through the entire libs of TikTok saga, which was outing a private individual to get, that, get her harassed for the rest of her life? Um, we all know how pathetic she was in that scenario, but let me give you her new scenario. She wrote a, a story, and again, if you're going to have something less interesting than internet culture, perhaps you could write about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Well, she says, who won the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial? Content creators that went all in. So see how she does, she took the Johnny Depp trial and then made it even less interesting by tying it to internet culture. But apparently there are some that did do that. Uh, they covered the trial, some of them for years and went to this back and forth saga. You know, look, celebrity news is something that a lot of people really like. And so they wound up making money on YouTube. Well, this was the focus of the story. She wrote that story. And then Lorenz, in the course of writing it, uh, supposedly reached out to two content creators cited in her article. Now, one of the content creators she claimed was making $80,000 a month. That content creator outed her by looking at the site that she got the information from, which said the content creator was making something like, I'm, gonna, I'm butchering these numbers maybe a little bit, but it's something like this, somewhere between fifteen dollars and $79,000 a month. So Taylor Lorenz took the $79,000, the highest part of that range, went above it and rounded it to $80,000 and acted as if that was definitely a salary, which is... That's not journalism, guys. If I did that, if Glenn did that, if anyone here did that, the Washington Post would have 12 reporters on it constantly, you know, uh, bitching about it and complaining about how we're making up numbers, which we wouldn't do. At the very least, we would say as much as 79,000. We certainly wouldn't just say concrete it was 80. Who does that? Beyond that, Apparently, the content creators came out and said, you know what's interesting about this? They didn't reach out to us. The Washington Post didn't reach out to get our comment. The content creators reacted on social media, denying her claims about reaching out. Lorenz also wrongly attributed a statement to Johnny Depp's representative, Adam Waldman. The Washington Post then added a note to the bottom of the article saying it was updated to clarify comments made during Waldman's testimony. Washington Post then also stealth edited these part if you don't know the stealth editing process, instead of adding a correction to the bottom of the story, they just changed it 
just change it online, hoping that nobody would notice. They took the phrase out about trying to contact the YouTube uh, creators because, you know, she didn't do it. She wrote the story, included them in it, and then didn't reach out to them. This is what she does. Um, the uh, A bunch of news organizations and outlets decided to reach out to the Washington Post to ask about why they were stealth editing their stories after publication. And then they did issue a correction afterward. A previous version of the story, and inaccurately attributed to Adam Waldman, a quote describing how he contacted some internet influencers. That quote has been removed. The story has also been amended to note the post attempts that to reach uh, that umbrella guy, which is one of the guys, uh, for comment. Previous versions uh, omitted or inaccurately described these attempts. Lorenz then blamed the miscommunication with an editor for the mistake on Twitter. Um, here is, uh, let me give you that the cycle of blame here. Lorenz tweeted, last Thursday, an incorrect line was added to a story of mine before publishing due to a miscommunication with an editor. I did not write the line and was not aware it was being inserted. I asked for it to be removed right after the story went live. The line was a sentence that I reached out to two YouTubers for comment on my story. The inclusion of the YouTubers was only in passing, citing another outlet's reporting. After the story went live, I reached out to both YouTubers mentioned in the sentence because it wasn't like she got caught and then reached out. No, no. She uh, reached out afterward because her editor wrote a, a line in the story for her that she didn't, she didn't uh, actually write herself. That's what you're supposed to believe. She goes on. The mention of these two individuals was not remotely the focus of the story. It's become a huge distraction. I spoke to two dozen creators for the story about the trial, along with other experts who were quoted in the piece. This should have been a small correction for a miscommunication, but it turned into a multi-day media cycle intentionally aimed at discrediting the Washington Post and me. There's no need to discredit either one of them. You're doing it yourself. There's no effort needed to make this happen. This is just who you are. Stop denying it. You know you don't do a good job. You know it. You know it. I mean, you have to know it. You know that when you're doing your job every day, you're cutting corners, you're going for a narrative, you're not doing a good job. It's okay. It's what I expect out of the Washington Post, but just own up to it. Just admit you're just doing a terrible job. You're just not good at the job you've chosen. Lots of people choose jobs. I could choose to be a chef right now. I'd be a terrible chef, right? I could be, I'd, I'd be coming up with recipes. They'd suck. But I don't become a chef for that reason. And perhaps you should consider another line of work because you're terrible at this one. She goes on. We have a responsibility to recognize that these bad faith campaigns for what they are and when these sorts of things do and do not warrant acknowledgement. I'm extremely happy at The Washington Post. I chose to work here because it's an extremely incredible place filled with amazing, talented journalists and editors. Bad actors recognize The Washington Post's earnest desire to hear and incorporate feedback and they exploit that. This is my favorite part, though. I know that the stuff I write about and go through is hugely unfamiliar to the vast majority of people in media. I have great hope that all of us can learn from this experience. Now, you might want to learn so much from Taylor Lorenz. There's probably so much you could incorporate from her experience into your life, but sadly, you can't do it on Twitter. Mm -mm -mm. Why? Well, after all this went down, Taylor Lorenz has made her Twitter account private. That's right. 
She's so open and transparent about her media coverage that you no longer can see any of her tweets. This is pathetic. Can we recognize it? They're, fu- they're suspending for a month Dave Weigel for retweeting a joke, and yet this woman comes on, terrorizes people's lives day after day after day with falsehoods, and still remains employed. Still remains doing the job and protected not only behind the wall of a Twitter uh, private account, but also from her employer, who continually seems to do this exact thing. When you let People with the intellect of a 14-year-old intern run your company. This is the sort of company you have. Our entire culture has gone insane. We'll talk about that next. You know, I live in Texas, and we live uh, and work near a Whole Foods location. And occasionally I'll go into a Whole Foods because... I just sometimes get the desire to spend three or four times as much on the same product that I get at another grocery store. I mean, I just, it's like I want to see what what life is going to be like in three or four months under the Joe Biden inflation uh, situation. And I just want to go to Whole Foods so I can spend that much right now. And I went into Whole Foods, and one of the things I like about Whole Foods is it's populated mainly by people who would uh, would probably string me up from the rafters if they knew that I uh, was a conservative. Like, they, you know, generally speaking, it's interesting because the company was founded by a guy who's kind of like a libertarian. It really isn't a, a left-wing company, but it's populated largely by left-wing people. And then it was bought by Amazon, which is this, this giant behemoth of a company that everything about the left says they should hate, but yet they're still in Whole Foods and they still love, uh, they still have a lefty leader with, with Jeff Bezos, of course. So it's an interesting place and I find it to be fascinating to walk, walk in. And I walked in the other day and a guy walked by me and he had an Amazon shirt on. However, it wasn't an Amazon shirt because you know what? It's Pride Month. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's Pride Month. And if you don't take pride on who you sleep with on Pride Month, you're just not prideful enough. And one of the things humanity has always been able to strive for is more pride. Um, Yes, sure, one of the seven deadly sins. Ignore that for just a moment and take more pride in what you're doing with your genitals. It's important. And his shirt, instead of saying Amazon, it was rainbow colored and it said Glamazon. Isn't that adorable? A Glamazon t-shirt. I want a Glamazon t-shirt. Not to wear, but uh, I mean, it just would be fun to have. Um, Look, I have a private life too, okay? Um, uh, It's funny because the Glamazon thing made me think about Amazon as a company, and they're very, at least forward to the the public, very left-wing company. Now, the AOCs of the world have all sorts of problems with Amazon because they're only paying their workers like 20 bucks an hour, and that's not nearly enough uh, for, uh, for AOC. So she kicked them out of New York, and she was able to get that done and make sure that people in New York didn't have any jobs as they were recovering from an economic catastrophe. That was, that was really admirable of her. But like generally speaking, really left-wing company. Pride week, pride month, pride year, they take very seriously over at Amazon. In fact, they even had a pride party going on. And the reason I know that is not because I attended. I know that's gonna surprise you. It's not because people were saying what a great job Amazon did uh, with their pride party 
because that's a brave, progressive step to take uh, a company that sells all sorts of things to all sorts of people and make such a public statement about their pride in, you know, where you want to put your your things, you know, wherever you want to put whatever your thing, where, where you want that to live. You know, I don't know. It's up to you. You do what you want to do. So <laughs> so they had this pride party and I only know about it because, of course, you can never be woke enough. You can't ever get there. It's a road with a destination that's too far for you ever to arrive. And when you get close to it, it moves farther and farther away. We see this with Amazon as they've had a trans die-in at Amazon and it disrupted the company pride party. Now, the company's taken the step to have a pride party. They could also say, you know what, your sexuality, whatever you want, we're not certainly not going to uh, say you can't work here if you are straight or gay or whatever. You can work here, um, but we're not going to celebrate your sexuality at work. This is work. We, you guys have jobs here to do. We want you to, I don't know, ship crappy Chinese products all around the nation. We don't want you to, uh, to be talking about your sexuality at work. I mean, in fact, isn't that kind of like the whole thing with the Me Too movement is you're not really supposed to talk about sexuality at work. Uh, but apparently that's off the table when it's Pride Month. And so they had a Pride party. But I guess the trans people in the audience were very upset. Here's a picture of what it looked like. And wow. Trans people lying on the ground, faking their deaths. And they had to fake their deaths because they weren't actually, you know, dead. Because trans people aren't getting murdered like crazy like they always claim. We've been through that fact check before, and it's a fascinating one. What's, what's interesting here is they're upset at Amazon. Why? Because Amazon continues to sell books that... Take a different view on the transgendered issue. We've talked to some of the authors of those books on this program. And one of the things that you might find interesting if you've been watching the show for a while, we've also talked to an author who, of a book that said, hey, maybe the trans thing isn't the, uh, the wonderful uh, idea and concept and, and, uh, and, and movement that we think it is. Maybe there's some issues here we should be investigating a little more carefully. And he had his book actually pulled from Amazon. So they haven't left all the books uh, that are critical of uh, trans activism uh, uh, on uh, Amazon. But apparently they've left some, and that's too much. You see, people hearing views that are different than yours is the equivalent of you being killed. That is... Words are violence, boys and girls. You should know that by now. And it's fascinating to watch this happen. And you see a company like Amazon now, what are they going to do? They have to react to this now. What are they going to do? The typical way these companies have acted for years and years and years is to say, we're sorry. We'll take those books away. We'll make you feel more welcome. Why don't you get a few weeks off to recover from this horror uh, horror show we put you through? You don't really need to show up to work anymore. We'll still pay you and everything. But, you know, we can't expect you to work in the condition that you're in after we allowed people to choose to buy a book about a topic you disagree with. That's been the way things have going for, are going for a long time. But do you sense a change? Do you sense... A change. Do you, do you sense that something going the opposite direction here, a force pushing back a little bit, America waking up a little bit and saying, wait a minute, this is dumb. Why are we reacting this way? What do you mean we can't say the things that we want to say? 
What do you mean we have to show up to work and do work? What do you mean if you're offended at work, you get to just shut down and protest your employer? What is this? What society is this? Who learned to live this way? I know I didn't. I showed up to work a lot of days and did not like what I was doing at work. You know, most most of the time because it was work. I didn't want to work. I wanted to be very lazy and sit at home. But I showed up anyway and I powered through the day. Why? Because that's I don't know what you're supposed to do. Right. I'm not I'm not breaking new ground here. You show up to work if you want to get paid. You do your job. Then you take that payment. You go home and you live your life as you choose. I want that separation. Don't you? I want what they, you know, they always talk about a work-life balance, which is, of course, really difficult to, to form in, in, a, in a perfectly uh, equal way. But what you do want is the ability to go to work, to earn a living, to do something you hopefully enjoy that you think is impacting the world in some positive way, and then go home and, you know, use that money to get nachos bel grande and, and watch, you know, baseball all night. Like, that's, that's America, right? I, what, did I lose... Did I lose the plot somewhere? I I don't understand. Well, let me give you some of the pushback because I think this is important and we should be highlighting it. Elon Musk has changed quite a bit over the years. At least his perception uh, has changed quite a bit because he was a left-wing guy. He was a guy praised by the left. He was in every ESG fund. Uh, Tesla was a big electric car company. We everyone, every indication pointed to this guy being a left wing guy. And as he's even said, it's not that I've changed. It's just that every, every the left has gone crazy. And now all of a sudden I seem like I'm a right wing guy. I haven't moved at all. He has decided to say to his workers, you know what? Here's the thing. If you don't want to come to work, you can't work here. Now, that seems like the most basic piece of advice a boss has ever given. Of course, if you don't work, you don't get paid. Like that's not supposed to be how society works, but that is how society works, or at least has for the past couple of years. Here's what Musk said. He said he told uh, Tesla workers to return to the office full time or resign. Yeah, that's the headline. Full time or resign. Here's part of the letter. Anyone who wishes to do remote work must be in the office for a minimum, and I mean minimum, of 40 hours a week or depart Tesla. This is less than we ask of factory workers. If there are particularly particularly, uh, exceptional contributors from whom this is impossible, I will review and approve those exceptions directly. Moreover, the office must be a main Tesla office not a remote branch office unrelated to the job duties. For example, being responsible for Fremont factory human relations, but having your office be in another state. Seems like he was calling someone out very specifically with that last line. But the point is, hey, we're paying a lot of money for office space. You should show up to it. And look, you know, there are some jobs, of course, where you can work from home and everything's going to be fine. And and I don't think that's a problem for most employers. But like, you know, there's also a lot of people who take advantage of that situation and they don't work 40 hours a week. What he's saying is, hey, you're supposed like I expect more than that out of you. I expect you to dedicate yourself to this place a little bit. That doesn't mean you have no life outside of the place, but like you're supposed to care. And if you don't care, go away. We'll find people who do care. This is kind of the way companies 
used to operate all the time. Now, someone asked him on Twitter, hey, Elon, a lot of people are talking about this leaked email. Any additional comment to people who think coming into work is an antiquated concept? And he responded, they should pretend to work somewhere else. (laughs) That, look, you might not want to work for a guy who says that, but he's being honest. And he's asking for a little personal responsibility, and it's his right, his company, to do so. Uh, Netflix, of course, has had their own issues with left-wing people. And you might say, well, Elon Musk, you know, he seems like he's now more conservative than a lot of Republicans are these days. Maybe he doesn't count. Well, Netflix is not that way. They are very liberal. They're still doing all the very liberal things. Their pride parties have plenty of pro-trans, non-die-in participants. And so they are, of course, the most woke of all wokeness, uh, if you've looked at their history. Well, Netflix is now telling the woke workers to quit if they are offended. They had a memo out as well. Great inspiration, entertainment and thrills and inspires. It sparks laughter, tears, gasps and sighs, stirring our emotions and nourishing our spirit. As employees, we support the principle that Netflix offers a diversity of stories, even if we find some titles counter to our own personal values. Depending on your role, you may need to work on titles you perceive to be harmful. If you'd find it harder to support our content breadth, Netflix may not be the best place for you. Yeah, that is pretty much uh, the way it should be, right? You don't have to agree with everything. I mean, even in a place here where we are all relatively ideologically aligned, there are things that people say on the network that I don't agree with. There are people who do not like the stuff that I say on this network. That's okay. We're adults. We know that people disagree. In fact, that's part of the fascination of life, isn't it? We all, I mean, we all know what happens when no one disagrees. You turn into the Lego movie. You know, you're, you walk around saying everything is awesome and you never, you, you never disagree. You never get into conflict. You never learn anything new. You never hear a new perspective. Who wants that world unless your head is made out of plastic? Netflix is also saying uh, that uh, the whole free speech thing, it used to be a very liberal issue. And he's criticizing people who are criticizing Netflix for not taking Dave Chappelle off or or Ricky Gervais or any of these other people who are saying things that are just a tad against what others believe. That should be okay. You know, one of the reasons why we're doing uh, this whole gun special tomorrow is to kind of set the record straight. And we need to be doing more of this in every conversation that we have, every topic. Say what you believe. Believe what you say and get out there and tell people about it. But also don't you don't need to it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be all of your life. Right. Your political self is part of the package. It's part of uh, of of the entire dinner of life. It, It might be a side dish for you, though, and that's okay. You don't have to go crazy about every single issue, but we should be able to express ourselves and say, hey, this is what I believe. And also be an adult enough to deal with other points of view. We should be an adult enough to show up to work when asked. We should be adult enough to enjoy a pride party without doing a trans die-in. These are not big hurdles to clear for a country like the United States of America.
The same goes with the gun debate. You know, you might not like people on the left talking uh, about their idiocy on guns. And that's why we're doing this special uh, tomorrow. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Promo code is debunked. We're going to debunk all these myths on tomorrow's program. And we're doing that because we want to make sure people know the truth, because so many people are afraid to even say the things that they believe on guns. Emotion gets in the way. Threats get in the way. Threats of losing your voice, your platform, your job, sometimes physical violence. All that's out there and seems to be okay if you're on the right side of the issue. Well, I just want you to know the facts. And, you know, you might uh, be someone who's really involved in the gun debate. You might be someone who just hears these things and says, well, I don't know. I mean, that one's that left wing proposal sounds reasonable. I wonder if it would work. Let me give you all the facts so that you can come back and you can debunk your friends claims when they bring them up next time, because they're not they don't, they're not coming up with new material here, guys. This is the, these are the same points they've been making for a long time. We need to put this stuff to rest once and for all. Uh, welcome, uh, Glenn Beck. He is here. Uh, his next special is coming up at 9 p.m. Eastern, right after this program. I mean, that was really the way to introduce. Thank you. You come out I'm of not. the commercial break, you are, you're <laughs> loaded, and you're like, Dah. I'm not, like, like convinced I'm excited about this, that I'm supposed to feign it. So, <laughs> All right, okay. okay. The uh, How Ukraine's Crisis Will Usher in a Digital Dollar Disaster. Be sure to stay tuned. Glenn, how's it going? I'm sensing a theme with my shows. Yeah. Disaster seems to be capitalized <laughs> yeah. in most of your titles. Yeah. Or catastrophe. Yeah. You have a bunch of, you have like a thesaurus just turned to that page. <laughs> That's exactly and right. just like inserting all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of catastrophes, I talked about Disney mm-hmm. today uh, mm-hmm. in the monologue. And you are the Disney guy around here. You love Disney. You've love always Disney. loved them. Love Walt Disney. Love what he wanted to create. Love what he did create. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I love Walt Disney. Before we get into the downfall here, can you take us back to the beginnings? What did he want to create? Because I think I don't think people have any idea what he actually okay, wanted. Okay, so at this point. he just wanted to. He was a newspaper cartoonist, and the first thing he wanted to do was make uh, film. He wanted to make a cartoon. Um, he made a silent. The first Mickey is actually a silent, um, but then. Uh, that was delayed because sound came out, and so he wanted to make Mickey Mouse with sound. So the first one, not released, you know, in mm. order, first one was shelved so Steamboat Willie could come out. He wanted to break the rules on things. Mickey Mouse became huge. He wanted to make movies, real movies, really studying things. Bambi uh, came out. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was his first. But he studied. He made, I mean, he would bring animals into the art department. I mean, he wanted to break Mm. all of the traditions and do something spectacular. The war hit, his studio was taken over for the war. Um, uh, The unions uh, started boycotting him. Um, And once the unions hit him, he was never really the same. He really kind of gave up on the Walt Disney company itself as a movie company. Um, and you can kind of see that. The last one he was really into was um, Sleeping Beauty. Um, and after that, he, he just didn't want anything more to do with it. And so he started doing the theme park, and he mm-hmm. wanted to make a theme park. He did the theme park, but that's not really what he had in mind. He saw that, and he was like, wait a minute. I think there's something here about a city. And when when he designed... Um, Walt Disney World, it first didn't have the Magic Castle and Disneyland in it. 
uh, Roy made him do that because Roy said, we got to make money. Um, He wanted just to build Epcot, which was the experimental prototype city of tomorrow. And it it is it's genius. It today it's genius. Um, And I think he saw what's happening now. I think he saw the broke the breakdown of the cities. He saw that we were we were building cities that were just kind of this bridge between two worlds, even now more so. Um, and he wanted to build these cities all over. He said it was the most important thing that he ever wanted to do, um, or that the most important thing of his life, and he never did it. The, the other thing is um, everybody claims they loved Walt Disney. Hollywood hated Walt Disney. Um, hmm. the, the newspapers were all snobs. He's a cartoon guy. Um, they, they did not like him or wish him well. Hollywood didn't like it because he didn't like the unions. And the reason why all of his movies had like Kurt Russell in it is because he had a small pool of actors that would go against, if you worked for Disney, you didn't work for anybody else. Mm. And gosh, it's so hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Especially back then. Yeah. He was trying to break up the studio system. And uh, so if you were working for him, no other studio wanted you. And now they've turned into the The studio system. They've turned into the organization that's going to cast you aside and ban you and blacklist you for the things you believe. It's, you know, we're really discovering big is not always better. Mm. You know, Um, these companies have gotten so big. And in, in the case of Disney, they just handed the entire company over to the employees. I mean, it is out of control now. The CEO is not in charge of, of Disney. He's, he's being held hostage uh, by the cast members now. And because, because he's not, I think everyone now looks at Disney and thinks, oh, they're just a bunch of crazy, like, left woke people. The CEO is not really that, right? Like he was. Well, he's not. So I, I wouldn't say that he's a Texas conservative. <laughs> right, right. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, sure. But sure. for that role, yeah, for Hollywood, he is a mm-hmm. conservative. Really? Yeah, for that, for, for that, for role. Hollywood, right. you know, for Hollywood. Um, and he just wanted to take the company and just say, "Let's make movies." Did you, by the way, see uh, who was it? Was it Mark Andreessen? Uh, from uh, is it Coinbase mm-hmm. that that kicked and said you're fired? Yeah, uh, to, to, to get rid of all the people who were talking politics. Yeah, yeah he's One not way the CEO. Another. He was a big investor in Coinbase, but the Coin, Coinbase is the right company. Okay, that did that. Yeah. so the CEO of Coinbase came out and said, "Did you see the t- Twitter feed?" He said, "It's been a year. Came out yesterday. Mm. Been a year. Best decision I've ever made." Really? He said, "We are so much more efficient." We are we're rocketing. Everything is going really well. And the staff is happy. Well, we, you know, because those are the things you were supposed to avoid. I mean, there was that don't talk religion or politics and polite company. Right. That, yeah. that was always. And I understand that like that, that that's just a generalization. But when it becomes the entire focus of your company, the reporting is that Disney went into this and said, look, we've seen some of the, the hiccups we've had in the past with this. Let's just not talk about it. Let's just let's just. Make great entertainment for families and do our thing. And now I don't buy that that's what they were doing, at least to my standards. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that was rejected by the employees to the point that they revolted. I mean, they they they, they walked out. They walked out. And I would say, don't let the Disney door hit you in the ass on the way out. (laughs) I would have that. I would have celebrated. Okay, good. Now we don't have to fire them. Thank you. Bye bye. 
Um, the, uh, uh, the problem is, is that instead of saying that, he gave them more power by saying, OK, we're going to make gay friendly content for children now. Which is what every parent has been screaming for. <laughs> no, I don't think that's true. Yeah, uh, actually. Uh, so you talked about the original vision of, of Disney and, and Epcot, the city of uh, experimental protocol city, city of tomorrow. Experimental prototype city of tomorrow, okay. community of tomorrow. Um, and what's interesting about that, because you have the, the original design, right? Uh, I mean, I've seen the, the blueprint. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. That he just left behind at a meeting somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. But a big part of that planning for the average person in the city of tomorrow was community. It was not built around giant skyscrapers. It was not built around, you know, big, even expansive suburbs where everyone had gigantic yards and no one ever talked to each other. It It was all about community. How? All of the houses were facing each other with a park in between. And then there was the what was called the Wedway, you know, those cars that constantly run in, you know, in yeah. Disneyland or Disney mm-hmm. World in the future section to the land of tomorrow. There were stairs that would go up and then you would just get onto the Wedway and that would take you into the into the center of the city. Mm-hmm. And he had it was all built in a circle and he had concentric circles uh, all the way, but it was all linked so there was no real traffic, no street traffic, because all of the traffic was underneath the ground. But all of the houses faced each other with this park and had very small backyards because he, he thought we shouldn't be in our backyard. The way he grew up is you'd sit on the porch in the sun and, mm. you know, and all the kids would be playing. And so it was just giant park out front. So the neighbors would get to know each other. And then you so you didn't drive into your driveway at the front of your house. No, you would. I think you could have there was a driveway behind everybody's house yeah. in the alleyway and you could park behind. But there was really no space behind the house. It was all in front and everything was made to be community to bring people together um and it's it's it was a remarkable design i wish they would have made it how much uh, how much of our problems today are a result of us kind of taking a lot of these discussions on into an, an anonymous place like social media as opposed to actually talking to people in our community knowing your neighbors who might have different views and talking that stuff out well a lot of our problems socially are caused by that. Um, but our problem is the opposite politically. For instance, um, we've known, I've just listened to a, an expert on the dollar um, getting ready for this show just a couple of days ago. And I'm listening to him explain what happened in 08, 9, 10, 11, 12, all those days that I said, this is going to collapse. This is, they're going to print money. And it's not going to be able to hold. Do you remember I talked about Moody's downgrading us and others are going to drop the dollar? Mm -hmm. That was all conspiracy theory. Listening to him, because he was there, he documented everything. That's exactly what was happening. But they didn't talk about it. No one in the global finance community wanted to talk about it because they needed a plan. So now... They're coming out and saying, we've got to study this and we have to have a bill passed in the next six months and we're going to talk to everybody. That's all done. 
Now they're just bringing the sheep along. That's the problem is most of our problems are because things are so big, giant corporations and giant global, you know, globalist uh, looking at the whole thing and not including the average person at all. And it, it won't work. It won't work. Things get too big like Disney and it'll work for a while until your people revolt. And that's what's happening with Disney now. Um, so your book, The Great Reset, which is actually available, you can buy it yeah. uh, in stores, yeah. in hardcover, which is amazing. Um, the book talks about how to push back against this. I mean, certainly all these problems that we're talking about are described in detail in the book. And it is, you've talked about it as the sort of uh, the key that unlocks uh, all these questions. Um, you understand the world. What do you do, though? How can you, how can you stop this? It's it's, it all, seems too you, big. You can't. You can't. Oh, okay. oh. <laughs> That's not what I expected. No, I thought we were, sort of, we were going to get yeah. an answer here. No, I don't think we can stop it. We can delay it. Um, we can thwart it. Um, but I don't think you can stop it cold in its tracks. It, portions of it will continue. Mm. Um, but if states would stand up and cities would stand up, they have the power to do it right now. Soon they won't have the power. Um, you know, I love all these legislatures and, and uh, governors who are like, we'll pick this up next year. Really? Will you? Will you pick it up next year? You know what the world can look like a year from now? I think we've learned that lesson the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so really the thing to do is really start, I don't know if I've said this on the air, but I've, I've prayed for two things. One to be able to see the things he wants me to see and share, okay? Mm -hmm. Be able to put this picture together and share it so people are warned. The other is how do we, how do we financially prepare? And part of that prayer, most of that prayer has been like, what do I do? So I have some resources left to be able to help. And uh, I've been thinking like most people on what do I do? And uh, I was in the shower about three weeks ago and I was praying and and uh, man, I got chastised hard. And I said, what are people going to need? Because that's what you have to think for your finances. What are people going to want? What are they going to want? OK, when things go down, are they going to want art? They're going to want what? What is it they're going to want? Mm. And uh, he said, uh, I heard in my prayer, um, I can't tell you anymore what people are going to want but I can tell you what they're going to need. You should start thinking that way. And I was really humbled and like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what that means is uh, we're going to need each other. We're going to need um, to help each other. We're going to need food. I, you know, I talked to David Barton the other day. David doesn't believe what I believe. I mean, he believes that we're in trouble, but he doesn't believe it to the extent I'm talking to him over the weekend. I said, what'd you do yesterday? And he said, I got a lot of strange looks at the hardware store. And I said, why? And he said, because I bought every shovel. I bought every uh, spade and hoe and all the tools I could buy. I said, what? And he said, you know, Glenn, when this hits, what tools do you have? And where are you going to go buy them? And I thought, this is from David Barton? <laughs> wow. Really? He's yeah. not been like that. 
But he he brought up a really good point. Even if this doesn't get to apocalyptic, which I don't think it will, I think it will be bad, but it's not the apocalypse. Uh, we make it to the other side. Um, we the, the phrase that they have all been saying, the elites have all been saying is Americans are just going to have to do with less. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to do with less. That's true. And you better start thinking this way. Just because of the split in the world of uh, East versus West. Back in the Cold War, I don't know if you even remember, but when the wall fell, it was no big deal for us. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like we got Levi's. Right, right, you know what I mean? Right, right, we didn't right. need anything from the Soviet Union. Right. This is China and India and probably Taiwan and, uh, mm. and Vietnam. All of these yeah. countries, okay, um, that we get stuff from oh, and yeah. need stuff from. Because we're going into a Cold War, if they're not providing those things, Americans... We are going to look back on these times as the time we could get whatever we wanted, let alone before COVID. So you're saying I'm going to regret complaining about seven months on a new car order? <laughs> I think yeah. so. Okay. All right. I think Good. so. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Beck, the new special is how Ukraine's crisis will usher in a digital dollar disaster. We didn't even talk about that, actually. No. So and it's really lot, important, too. <laughs> there's a lot more uh, yeah. hell, uh, apparently, that is not covered. <laughs> uh, 9 p.m. Eastern is right after this show. Make sure to check it out. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Enter the promo code Stu to uh, save 10 bucks. Glenn, thank you. On. As you may know, wokeness is sacred to everyone on the left. You may not, shall not violate any of the precepts determined by the woke religion. And this has become so crazy that people who aren't even on the right are constantly violating these terms and conditions they didn't know they agreed to. I've talked to you before about Barry Weiss, who was formerly at the New York Times, now uh, has her own Substack and podcast. It's a great podcast. I, uh, it's one of my favorites to listen to. She had an interview uh, this week, by the way, with a pro-choice uh, legal scholar who says Roe is junk. And it's a great one if you really want to understand the reason, not just because we think you know babies should be alive, but also just the legal reasons why this particular ruling was junk from the beginning. Uh, you know, just pathetic uh, from the very start. You can check out that podcast that she did uh, this week. She also has a Substack and often uh, features people who have gone through these sort of woke moments, these things, these, these moments of cancel culture that I, you know, I don't really feel like we're around five or 10 years ago. This is really a more recent phenomenon, at least to this crazy level. There's always been times that conservatives have spoken out and, and been targeted for their speech. This is not a new phenomenon. But as I said, this is really spread beyond just conservatives with their, uh, you know, radical rhetoric of lower taxes and alive babies. This is now going to people just making basic points about data and getting fired for it. I want to bring you the case of Zach Kriegman. He was a, a guy who... Uh, went through a, a situation like this, and I want to, we'll, we'll tweet out the entire link to the entire story so you can get all the details, but I want to highlight parts of this today because this is the world we're living in now, and it's really bizarre because this isn't just crazy liberal universities and activist organizations. These are media sources, sources that are supposed to be bringing you the news. This particular one, and the title of this, by the way, of uh, her um, her substack is called Common Sense, uh, and the, the title here is I Criticized BLM, Then 
I was fired. Let me take you through this story. Uh, Zach Kriegman says, I had been at Thomson Reuters, Reuters, the news organization, for over six years, most recently leading a team of data scientists applying new machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms to our legal tax and news data. In 2020, I started to witness the spread of a new ideology inside the company. There was fervent and vocal support for Black Lives Matter at every level of the company. No one challenged the racial essentialism or the groupthink. I'd been following the academic research on BLM for years and come to the conclusion that the claim upon which the whole movement rested, that police more readily shoot black people, was false. The data were unequivocal. Uh, It showed that, if anything, police were slightly less likely to use lethal force against black uh, suspects than white ones. Now, if you happen to be bouncing around the conservative uh, news world, you may have heard some of this stuff before, that a lot of this stuff was blown out of proportion, and this was not exactly the... the giant wave of violence against black people that the media was describing it. However, if you're in media circles, you're not really allowed to say that. We're kind of used to this sort of pressure as conservatives, where we want to speak up, we want to say something about a particular topic. There's certain speech you're not allowed to say. Now, you might be the type of person, and I bet you are if you listen to this program, that just says it anyway. (laughs) And I, for one, um, uh, love that about you. Uh, I hope that's what you like about this show. I don't care. I mean, I, f- I feel like this is one of the few places, however, where it's incentivized. I work at The Blaze, and on Blaze TV, we're incentivized to say whatever we want about whatever we want. You can go across The Blaze and listen to a bunch of different hosts, and you'll find different opinions about big topics of the day. That's okay. That's kind of the atmosphere here. It's the, the, the ecosystem that's been built here is everybody kind of just says what they want. And we all, generally speaking, have a good relationship and can see each other in the hallways or go on each other's shows and talk the stuff out and then walk away and say, hey, we know that person has the best of intentions and wants the best for this country. That's not the way the rest of the world works. And if you happen to be working at a normal company, when you want to say something like I'd like babies to live or maybe this data that everyone keeps citing is not real, well, that is a problem for a lot of people at their workplaces. It shouldn't be a problem, however, when you're talking about a data science, a data scientist at a news organization. That person should also be incentivized to say the truth, to talk about what they really believe the data says. And that's not what happened here. According to calculations based on FBI data, black Americans account for 37 percent of those who murder police officers and 34 percent of the unarmed suspects killed by police. Meanwhile, whites make up 42.7 percent of cop killers and 42 percent of the unarmed suspects shot by police, meaning whites are killed by police at 7 percent higher rate than blacks. Now, look, most people in the United States have never heard data like that. It is completely banned from their purview. And despite the fact that these are real numbers and this is a true thing, uh, it is not the type of thing you're allowed to talk about. But of course, the data gets even more convincing the more you look into it. If you broaden the analysis to include armed suspects, the gap is even wider, with whites shot at a 70 percent higher rate than blacks. Other experts in the field concur that in relation to the number of police officers murdered, whites are shot disproportionately. That does not mean that all cops hate white people. That's a dumb thing to take from data like that. You need to have evidence of that. Evidence. Evidence. 
When people analyze this data, they look at the very surface part of it. They don't look deeply into it. And what they typically say is something like, well, this is the outcome, which is not the right outcome most of the time. But then that automatically leads to police officers are racist, despite all of the other evidence surrounding it. But regardless, when you make an accusation of racism, there is a uh, the, the burden of proof is on you. You can't just assume the person's racist because you don't like them or because of the color of their skin. When you make generalizations based on the color of skin, you're being the racist. Look at the data. Say what the data says. That's what that's your job. Let people look at the data. You can try to give some analysis of the data, maybe give some reasons why you believe the numbers look like that. But give the actual data and they won't do that. Uh, Zach Kriegman goes on to say a pattern was starting to emerge. Reporters and editors, again, this is at Reuters, would omit key details that undermined the BLM merit narrative. More important than reporting accurately was upholding, nurturing that storyline. At some point, the organization went from ignoring key facts to just reporting lies. So here's this guy. He's a data scientist at a major news organization. And he's seeing these these stories go up that are omitting really important details that are summarizing BLM talking points as if they're the facts when the data does not show those claims were factual. That's a major problem. And if you're working at one of these places, it's a, there's a good chance that you went there for one of two reasons. One is to turn this country into a liberal utopia. Or two, you really care about the truth. And sometimes, you know, one of the things I like about Barry Weiss's Substack and, and a lot of the things that we do here at The Blaze is because a lot of times you come into a story thinking it's going to go one way and maybe it goes the other. Sometimes the big narrative that everyone hears over and over again, that's not true. And that's the sort of moment I love to get from someone I'm paying attention to in the media. Someone who will say, hey, you know that thing you've heard forever and ever and ever? Actually, here's a different way of looking at it. Here's, here are the facts uh, on that situation. And maybe the thing you've been taught your whole life isn't true. That's enlightenment, right? To the, to the media, that's, uh, it's against all the grain that they're trying. I mean, it goes the opposite direction of what they want. And that's the problem here. They want an agenda. They want a narrative. And when you press against that, it goes the opposite way. He, uh, after uh, Zach Kriegman, he took a leave of absence. And while he was on that leave of absence, he describes that he started to write a post about the disconnect between what we thought was true and what was actually happening. I wasn't sure what I planned to do with it. Maybe I would share it. More likely, uh, it would just be a kind of therapy, a chance for me to work through some of these issues. He writes this whole post summarizing the actual data on the BLM claims and decides he's going to post it to a a conversation network, like an internal, like a Slack or an internal conversation uh, posting board where people put up posts about the news of the day. I took a deep breath and shared my post on the hub. It was early May 2021. Within an hour or two, the moderators had taken down my post. Now, of course, this something like this happens. We, we know this happens all the time as conservatives. You go on Twitter, you post something and you get dinged, you get shut down, you get suspended. And usually you can figure out, well, what's the problem with what I did? Now, I'm sure there was some suspicion here from from Zach Kriegman as he was already seeing this sort of stuff emanating uh, in the organization. But you don't know until you ask. So I wanted to know what I had to change in my post to make it acceptable. 
which is an amazing line to have to write at a news organization. They suggested scrubbing all instances of the term systemic racism to start. So I did that, and the piece was reinstated. I was relieved. Such discussion about facts and statistics had to be permitted. It was impossible to report the news accurately if employees were not allowed to have internal, sometimes heated discussions about pretty much anything. But of course, as you might know, that's not where the story ends. It never ends like that. Just having the right facts and making a couple of corrections to something that somebody might find offensive is never going to be enough. We are in the, the era of the woke religion, and especially at news organizations, that's not the way this rolls anymore. <clears throat> After the, the repost happened, Zach Kriegman writes, Then the comments started rolling in. A handful of BLM supporters, all of them white, said that as a white person, I had no place criticizing BLM. They called my review of the academic literature white-splaining, failing to note that many of the academics I cited were black. I was publicly derided as a troll, confused, laughable, and not worth engaging with or even attempting to have an intelligent conversation with. Again, this is a data science they hired to analyze data, analyzing data. And that was such a problem for the other employees, he was berated for it. After enduring waves of abuse, I emailed HR to express my concern about these attacks on me and their chilling effect. They responded by removing my post and shutting down the conversation. I was told that if I discussed my experience on any internal company communications channel, I would be fired. How is this possibly how we handle these situations in this country? I still had a faint hope that the company's senior leadership would right the ship if I could only make them aware of the matter. I sent an email to colleagues and to company leadership, again expressing my concern about how the attacks against me had successfully shut down any productive conversation and left my reputation in tatters. The next day, HR called me to say that my access to all company computer and communication systems had been revoked. Three days later, on June 8th, 2021, I was fired. Now, this is one of those stories that should be completely shocking, but you kind of knew the outcome before it even started. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that has been built around us. This is the world you and I and anybody who cares about the truth in the media and just in regular life need to fight back against. What happened to him has happened to so many other people, and it's bizarre. It's crazy to consider that a data analyst at a news organization could, could pro provide accurate data analysis about a major news topic and get fired for it. But that's the country you live in.